To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's 90 degrees out, and I'm covered in bug spray, lying on the dirt floor of a hut with a roof made of palms. A woman is pressing hard on my stomach. She's telling me something is wrong. The woman forcefully massaging my belly is Doña Chela. She's a sobadora, a kind of traditional healer in the Yucatan region of Mexico. Pregnant women come to her from nearby to make sure that the whole childbirth experience is safe. Kind of like a doula. The massage she's giving me is one of the sort of services she performs for her clients. It does a bunch of things, including putting the baby in a head-down position for labor or calming the client's nerves. This massage, though, did not exactly calm my nerves. While massaging me, Doña Chela tells me that something of mine called el cirro isn't where it should be. This probably isn't a body part you've ever heard of. But in Mayan culture here, el cirro is an organ believed to be found in your midsection. After you have a baby, a time where your organs are really shifted around, you're supposed to come back 12 days after delivery to get a massage from someone like Doña Chela. During that, she makes sure that your cito is where it should be and massages it back into place if it isn't. The belief here, though it isn't backed up by modern medicine, is that with it out of place, you can experience back pain, stomach issues, and anxiety. They believe you can pass along some of those issues to your baby if you breastfeed too. I'm way past that 12-day mark. I had a baby a year ago. So why am I here exactly? Kelsey Butler, a reporter on Bloomberg's equality team. When I got pregnant in the middle of the pandemic, I was living in New Jersey, the state with one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the U.S. And the numbers were the worst for women like me, who are Black. The death rate was made even scarier by the prospect of getting COVID, which I knew made the chances of complications for both me and my baby even higher. I thankfully had a mostly complication-free birth. My son turned one last month, but it got me thinking about maternal health. And when I started looking into it, I found an even more shocking statistic just a little bit south. For years, maternal mortality had been improving in Mexico. Then the pandemic hit, and the rate for maternal deaths climbed over 60%. So I jumped on a plane to Mexico to find out what happened. Jobless claims coming in, I mean, really jumping from the week before. Pretty brutal, 3.2 million. A record 6.6 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. Indian working women were the worst impacted by the pandemic. Esto tiene que ver con la economía. 
Well, now to the billionaire boom. According to Bloomberg, super yacht charters are up over 340%. And a billionaire was created every 26 hours during this pandemic. It is time for a wealth tax in America. Welcome back to The Paycheck. I'm Rebecca Greenfield. Among the many things that have determined how a country has fared economically during the pandemic is how governments decided to manage the virus itself. Some places opted for a COVID zero strategy, going to extreme lengths to keep the virus out of their borders. Others had more of a letter rip strategy, keeping the economy and businesses open with little regard for the virus itself. And many places were somewhere in between. Each approach comes with costs, though some are much higher than others. Mexico is a country that chose its economy over everything else. A few months into the pandemic, the government slowly started lifting restrictions. That's my colleague, Andrea Navarro. She's a reporter in Mexico City. We were one of the few places in the world where we never really had any travel restrictions of any kind. So things went back to normal relatively quickly here. Andrea usually covers Mexico's economy, but for the last two and a half years, she's been covering COVID. She told me as early as 2020, before vaccines, Mexico was open for business. To understand this approach, Andrea says you have to understand Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, who's known more colloquially as AMLO. AMLO can be described as a populist. And what that means is that he will basically say and do anything that he says will be popular with his base, which is very big. AMLO caters to Mexico's poorest people, many who work in the informal and service economies, the people who run things like street carts. And if they aren't allowed to operate or all their customers are stuck in quarantine, they can't earn a living. And unlike richer countries, Mexico didn't have the money to just pay people to stay home. Plus, AMLO hates debt. So he basically let COVID run free in the hopes that the economy would survive. Andrea says the strategy allowed Mexico to keep a balanced budget. The peso has also remained relatively stable. And there are no worries about the country defaulting on its debt. But it also had some nasty knock-on effects, particularly on Mexico's healthcare system. It's safe to say that the healthcare system collapsed. Andrea says during the worst wave, ambulances would circle all night looking for empty hospital beds. So far, Mexico has lost 325,000 people to COVID, which is high enough on its own. But it lost another 500,000 people to what are known as excess deaths. People who shouldn't have died, but couldn't get the care they needed due to COVID. And among those were many pregnant and childbearing women. Before the pandemic, Mexico's maternal mortality rate, while still high, had been moving in the right direction. Over two decades, it had dropped by half. The pandemic erased most of those gains. About 2,000 women have died in childbirth or soon after in Mexico since the start of the pandemic. My colleague Kelsey went down to Mexico to investigate. Back to her for the story. I ended up in Mexico after I heard the story of Geren Vallejo Castro. In January, Geren checked into a hospital in Baja, California to have her second baby. She was a healthy 31-year-old woman. 
Gaydon had a C-section. They're common, generally speaking, but they're especially popular in Mexico, which has one of the highest C-section rates in the world. And during the pandemic, the C-section rate jumped even higher. Hospitals were too maxed out and short on time to let labor happen on its own. The rates in the first year of the pandemic were more than three times what the World Health Organization recommends. Because C-sections, though life-saving and necessary in some cases, carry greater risk of complications like infections or blood clots than giving birth the old-fashioned way. It's also major surgery, and recovery is tougher too. Just after getting C-section, her family was sent home and told to come back later. Everything seemed fine. They were told she just needed some rest. But when Gaydon's family returned, she was dead. Her sister, Ana Maria Vallejo, found her in her hospital room. I talked to Ana on the phone about this. What she described was heartbreaking. Ana says that when she went to touch her sister, Gaydon was freezing. Her arms dropped to her side, completely limp. It was as if she had been dead for hours. The official cause of death was listed as a hemorrhage, or excessive bleeding, one of the top causes for maternal death in Mexico right now, just ahead of COVID. But Gaydon's family didn't understand how things went so wrong so quickly. Ana told me she asked the doctors how in the world that happened. The family filed an official complaint which triggered an autopsy. But when her body was delivered to the medical examiner, they were told they wouldn't be able to give the family any answers because her organs were already removed from her body. That's really odd. An official at the medical examiner's office said it was the first time he'd seen something like that. The hospital, meanwhile, said it followed protocol in removing Gidden's organs during its own autopsy. The family wonders if doctors were trying to cover something up. News outlets started picking up the story. Keren Vallejo Castro, de 31 años, murió el pasado domingo en el Hospital Regional 31 de Limps, en Mexicali. Su caso está rodeado de irregularidades y ya hay una denuncia formal interpuesta por su familia. The story went viral locally. The pictures of Keren from her social media accounts put a face to the brutal details. Women shared their own stories of missed appointments, negligence, and bad treatment during their pregnancies. In February, people protested in the streets. Todas somos Keren. We are all Keren. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
maternal mortality was already high in Mexico. But a perfect storm of bad decisions made by the government during the pandemic created a nightmare scenario for giving birth. The problem started in the months before the pandemic. Mexico's president, AMLO, decided to overhaul the country's healthcare system to eventually make it entirely free for everyone. Se creará el Instituto de la Salud para el Bienestar, que suplirá las funciones del denominado Seguro Popular. The move couldn't have come at a worse time. The new system wasn't up and running or fully funded when the pandemic overwhelmed Mexican hospitals. Chaos ensued. There were drug shortages and not enough hospital beds. And then one really bad decision made it all worse. So when the pandemic started, there was something called reconversion, hospital reconversion. And I think it was not the, the best idea. That's Nina Mendez Dominguez a physician and researcher who studies maternal health in Mexico. She's based in Mérida, a city of 1.2 million people on Mexico's Yucatán Peninsula. But I first met her at a conference in New York in April. Nina told me to deal with the influx of COVID patients, the government decided to convert many big hospitals around the country into COVID-only facilities, meaning no one could be treated for anything else. Not heart attacks not gunshot wounds, not even childbirth. It was Nina and her colleagues' research that uncovered that first statistic that really shocked me, that there had been a 60% jump in the maternal mortality rate in Mexico during the pandemic. Other countries in Latin America, like Brazil and Peru, also had big jumps. Those COVID-only hospital conversions played a big part in the deaths, she told me. What happened was that non-essential medical consultations were not available, but also nurses and all the staff were moved from certain hospitals to other hospitals. In other words, even the hospitals that would see pregnant women were short-staffed because their staff had been sent to deal with COVID. This led to a lot of problems for people with all kinds of health emergencies, but it was particularly dangerous for pregnant women especially pregnant women who lived far away from a hospital. Outside of the big cities, the only nearby hospital or health clinic was reserved just for COVID patients. In the remote region of Yucatan, where I saw Doña Chela, someone in labor could be hours from the nearest place that could deliver a baby, or even do standard pre- and postnatal care. The first contact in rural areas were not priority because they treat very small amount of people, so then... They stopped all the maternal consultations and women feared to travel to the urban areas and and go to the hospital because they knew there were patients that were sick over there already. Basically, pregnant women who already lived far from medical care might now be even further from somewhere that would treat them. And they also might be scared to go there because there was more risk of catching COVID. Henny Carillo, a professor at Texas A&M University who worked with Nina on the research, put it bluntly. So what happened? Pregnant women did not attend the routine checkups. All these decisions had a ripple effect, Henny says. Not all maternal deaths in Mexico were directly related to COVID infection, but rather to uncontrolled conditions during pregnancy due to the limited healthcare availability that these women had to face. Nina told me about one case while doing her research that stuck with her. 
She told me about a young woman who showed up at a remote hospital with a rare life-threatening pregnancy complication called HELP syndrome. The first facility she went to didn't catch it. By the time she got to the next, it was too late. She started bleeding internally and was taken to surgery. The end result was tragic. She just passed away, and it was so sad because her family came after, and she was already gone. It's these kinds of cases that stick with Nina because they're part of a common pattern, unnecessary roadblocks that make it hard for people to safely have babies. Emergencies were especially dangerous for women in the thick of COVID because it took so long for them to get to treatment and be seen by doctors. It became so difficult for a woman, for a pregnant woman, to move from her house to find medical attention that it ended up so bad. Yucatan, where Nina is based, saw the highest level of maternal deaths in more than a decade in 2021. It's a problem that is leaving too many women behind, she says. Pregnancy should be a very positive experience. Bringing children to life should be such an important event that we should all enjoy this process. And it should be equal for all women in all the world. But at a virtual event in February 2021, Zoe Alejandro Robledo, head of the Mexican Institute of Social Security, said the country's strategy had been, quote, very, very focused on hospital reconversion, unquote, so that doctors wouldn't be forced to decide which COVID patients lived and which died. He went on to say, quote, Mexico's model was growing the capacity for care, so there were zero rejections, unquote. Salvadoras like Doña Chela and parteras or midwives are stepping in to fill some of these gaps in a healthcare system they say isn't working for women. But they can't fix everything. I called one of these women who has been delivering babies for over 30 years. Her name is Guadalupe Hernández Ramírez. She's the president of the Association of Professional Midwives in Mexico City. Yo llevo más de 30 años atendiendo a I have been delivering babies for more than 30 years outside of hospital settings, in homes or in birthing centers, under very strict protocols to ensure the security and safety of both mother and baby. Doña Chela told me she was afraid to treat women early in the pandemic, leaving another gap in the system for rural women. That wasn't the case for Guadalupe, who during the height of COVID saw double or triple the number of women she normally does. That's because people either couldn't get care or were scared to go to traditional care facilities. So it was very difficult. Imagine the situation, running out of options and feeling uncertain. Women began calling professional midwives. Now, she says fortunately, the maternal mortality numbers are in a much better place. The latest government figures show the rate of maternal deaths is at about 31 for every 100,000 babies born. That's down from 53 deaths for every 100,000 births at the end of last year. That's in large part because the chaos of the earliest days of the pandemic and those hospital conversions are in the past, for now. But there's still work to do. In 2000, the country committed to decreasing the maternal mortality rate to 
22 deaths for every 100,000 live births. That's higher than many developed countries, but lower than the United States rate right now. One way to achieve that, Guadalupe says, would be to integrate midwives like herself into the healthcare system. Creemos que eso es lo que debería de pasar aquí en México, que de que una we think that's what should happen here in Mexico. For starters, they should insert professional midwives in the multidisciplinary team with a budget to pay them well to stop treating them in a denigrating way. There's evidence to back that up. Researchers say addressing a shortage of global midwives would prevent 280,000 deaths per year by 2035. And the World Health Organization recommends increasing education for midwives to reduce maternal and infant deaths. Guadalupe says that there should be more education for women about options outside the traditional healthcare system, too. A system that is overwhelmed just can't provide care to pregnant women the way they deserve. A prenatal visit with an OBGYN that has 80 women to see in a day? You can't ask for quality of care, not even to give proper advice or guidance. It's not that they don't want to, it's that they can't. Right now, 1,000 pregnant women die each year in Mexico. Zoom out, and there are 300,000 more around the world. One of the lessons of this season for me has been that there's no escaping the pain of the last two years. Some places have felt that pain more than others and in more traumatic ways through unimaginable death tolls. But even countries that manage the virus well couldn't fully insulate themselves from the global shock of COVID. Next week on The Paycheck, we head to a place with one of the lowest death rates in the world, where more and more people are feeling economic pain. It strikes against the Singapore pledge, right? We pledge ourselves to develop a, a just and equal society. If we don't hold that, then there's something problematic. Thanks for listening to The Paycheck. If you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. This episode was hosted by me, Rebecca Greenfield, and reported by Kelsey Butler. It was edited by Kristen V. Brown, with help from Francesca Levy, Janet Paskin, Rakshida Saluja, and me. We also had editing help from Danielle Balby, Shelley Banjo, Jilda DeCarly, Nicole Flato, Alyssa McDonald, and Kai Schultz. This episode was produced by Jilda DeCarly and sound engineered by Matt Keim. Our original music is by Leo Sidron. Special thanks to Magnus Henriksen, McKinnon DeKuyper, Margaret Sutherland, and Stacey Wong. The voice actor you heard was Veronica Kaloy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. See you next week. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth. 
and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.